Episode episode two of the Sensational Podcast. I think we've got uh, we've got some fun tonight, so we're gonna we're gonna have a little fun. We might even learn something. I highly doubt it because of the people that we have on, but we're certainly gonna give it a shot. Uh, I'd like to uh, just say a couple of things. We've had some pretty good feedback from the first episode. I appreciate everyone who's listening, except the people that I'm actually having on the show today, who have not. So really appreciate that from them. Uh, we also, um, you know, while we're in the process of recording this show, we just got the selection Sunday show. So congratulations to the Gators at going in at number seven. We'll see how that works out for them. Uh, what I labeled the show this week is called clickbait. And that may seem like it's, you know, saying something about what these guys do. It's really not. It's more of a topic of conversation that I kind of wanted to have. It's an interesting subject and an interesting topic to me. So I'd like to welcome to the show today, Antoine Staley from the Tallahassee Democrat and Nick Delatore Plus from Rivals and Graham Hall from the Gainesville Sun. Welcome, gentlemen. Thank you for uh, taking some time out of your busy schedules to join me. I appreciate it. Yeah, man. I'm glad you had me on, man. I know you talked about this for a while. I did. I I kind of thought about this last year, and then I'm going to use COVID as an excuse uh, why I didn't do it because everyone else is doing it. So that's my excuse. <laughs> so, guys, go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, thank you for having me. Um, I'm just wondering why we all Antoine and I got lumped in with Graham. I, that's well, unfair to them personally. I, I was a little miffed at that myself because I feel like I should have my own category where I should get my own interlude where you just dump all over me and spare these well, guys that because, you know, their work speaks for themselves when it comes to the criticism. Trust Ooh. me, Graham, that show, that, show was being work, that show was being worked on. We're going to have your favorite people on with you uh, for a little bit of a slam Graham session. Please. I think that should be pretty fun. Roast me and then toast me. (laughs) (laughs) You're a little too happy to have that happen. I mean, it makes you a little bit more humble. I think at the end of the day, you have to look at it through the right lens. And I I think I need a little bit of humility. Yeah, you could use it. I want to say too. So what we, what, well, yeah, categorically. Yeah, absolutely. So we, what we do on the show is I kind of, it's a little inside. I'm sure, you know, every other podcast do the same thing. So we send like a direct message and get the group together because sometimes not everybody knows each other. I mean, I know Graham and I, I know Nick and, and Antoine only through Twitter. I've never met Antoine. But um, so we go through the process like this is what we're going to talk about. This is kind of what we're going to do. Are you guys available? Times, et cetera, et cetera. 
And Graham sends a message in the DM and says, yeah, you know, Antoine, I've, I've read your stuff on Twitter and, you know, I'm a big fan. And, and Graham instantly starts with violence towards me, of course, and says, sorry that you have to know Chris. <laughs> right off the bat, like the third message, Graham's already attacking me, which is fantastic. <laughs> set the tone right away. Stuff. Yeah, he, let, he set the tone immediately. In the first 45 seconds, Graham sets the tone. That's what but I do. That's what I do. Speaking of that, I want this is what I wanted to jump on first. And, and, you know, we see it on a daily basis. We see it every day. You guys deal with it, obviously, on a professional level. But the social media interaction between yourself and and the fans with the things you write and the things you report uh, sometimes to me i look at it and it, it, i feel like it's something that i couldn't do without just being blocked immediately or saying all kinds of terrible things how do you how do you manage that interaction without sort of becoming angry with it and, and doing it like that, that, that has to be a trait that you've learned over time, maybe by mistake, or maybe just by, well, this is not what I'm able to do to, to manage that interaction with fans. Cause sometimes it can be really vicious and not only towards what you're reporting, but towards you yourself. I know for me, uh, just, it just comes over time. Uh, so when you get told you're an idiot on so many different times, even though you know, you're not an idiot. I mean, you just kind of, become immune to it so yeah i mean I, I try not to just take it personally if it's something that made me really makes me upset i might you know go away from the phone or twitter for a little while but that, that rarely happens but for me yeah i just i, I just kind of rolls off my bat nowadays because like i said you, i've heard just about everything like i've heard heard it all so it's nothing you can really say to me that's really gonna get to me at this point for the most part so yeah i just try not to let it bother me because yeah. I mean, a lot of fans are, you know, they're fans for a reason. I mean, it's short fanatic, and sometimes you they say a lot of irrational things <laughs> on the regular, <laughs> uh, to say the least. But yeah, you know, I just let it fall off my bat. That's pretty much my philosophy of it. Yeah, you've, you've got to have a, a thick skin to some degree, but I think early on, probably in life, I learned like, hey, maybe it's like being a baseball player and just like kind of dealing with failure. It's just like, listen, if if it's if I can't control it and somebody you know, Nico six seven eight nine two four six four on Twitter says, Hey, you're an idiot. I have no idea who you are. You have no idea who I am. Like your opinion of me is, is not gonna you know, I'm not gonna lose sleep over that. Um so you get a bunch of stuff like that. And and also I think I've learned after like two or three responses on, on Twitter, if we haven't seen eye to eye, we're probably not going to. So I, I'm not yeah. gonna continue with a back and forth for 16 responses where we're just yelling at each other. I'm like, what? listen, we've gotten to three. We don't agree. That's probably where this, this yeah. conversation is going to end. Is that, is that like that point that you just like, okay, I, I can see where this is headed and it's not a path. You're going to drag me down. So I'm just going to stop this. And if you continue, it's just like, I'm going to mute you or whatever and just move on with the other people in my interaction scope that like, you know, it, it, I'm just not built that way. And that, that's not anything bad towards you. I just like, I guess it was my profession. It would be different because I would know that this is something I, I can't do. But like, I don't, I, I just can't, I just couldn't do it. I, I respect the fact that you guys can. That's why, you know, I brought it up because it, it seemed, it just seems like something I wouldn't be able to do personally. How about you, Graham? 
I, I would probably say I'm closer to where you are, Chris, because in the past I've definitely tried to reason with people and maybe provide them with that great word context that they're not seeing. And I think that's that's part of what the job entails, you know, providing evidence of another side, opening up someone's reasoning. But too often people who are on Twitter already are angry and unable to see the other side. So you realize that it's just not worth engaging with people like that. But every so often you will run into someone who will state their point uh, very fairly and not make it personal and then you can engage with that type of person and have a meaningful dialogue and they're a little bit rare to find now unfortunately but they remind you that it's worth doing that, that, that one out of ten times right? i i must not be on twitter yeah, what app? i'm having these conversations what app is that that you're yeah, on I think it's, called, <laughs> it's called parlor it's definitely not twitter that you're i don't know what that, that is now. that's i would <laughs> that it's not twitter.com um, it's usually in the DMs where you can have a long, if we're being serious here, it's usually in direct messages with people where you can trust them, where you can have extensive conversations that can't be minimized to just 280 characters where it seems like wit and snappiness and one-upping the other one too often is prevalent in, in the talk where you just really don't go anywhere when it comes to finding reason or even a balance in the argument. So. I hope that Twitter evolves because it can be so much better than it is. I'll leave it at that. Yeah. Were you guys, um, were you on social media before you had to be on social media for your profession? Like on, on Twitter, did you have a Twitter before you became, you know, reporting as a profession for it and kind of learned what that's like. So you sort of had a scope of what to expect once you became, uh, a professional at what you do and have to have this interaction on, on an almost daily basis? I know for me, uh, when I was in grad school at Florida, then that's when I got um, I got on Twitter, which at the time I was like, I don't need this. Like, why, why is anybody on Twitter? Like, I didn't I didn't understand it. I, you know, and this was like 20, 2009, 10, somewhere around there. So yeah, I was just like, whatever. And then eventually I grew to like it. And then eventually I found like it would be a benefit to my profession. So yeah, yeah, I mean, I was, I just, I just started um, my journalism career when I, you know, when I started to get on social media. But um, yeah, at first, I like I said, I didn't think it had any use for it. I, I didn't see it going the way that it is now, uh, quite frankly. But yeah, um, I, I've definitely seen both sides of it before, and then kind of how it is now, especially with news and news breaking off of it and everything like that. Yeah. Guys, and I hopped in, I hopped on in 2009, and my friends roasted me. They were like, "Nobody cares what you think," and I'm like, "This to me, it was." This That's still true to this day. Uh, it is. <laughs> it is. You sound like my mom. Um, <laughs> to me, it, it, it was when I hopped on. It was I'm creating a news channel or a newspaper for me. I'm only following the people that I want to get news from. I followed like Dan Levitard and Dana White, and I followed you know the reporters that were on there that covered the teams that I wanted to follow. And I was like, this is like if I tuned into the news and only watched the stories that were interesting to me. And I loved it, you know, from the beginning. Um, yeah. But yeah, it wasn't, it was almost like I was just not tweeting. I was just like there to read my, you know, my morning news and, and, and go through it like that when I first got on Twitter. None of us really, when we were growing up, 
and posting stupid, ugly pictures to Facebook and, and Zanga. I got to say, Zanga, underrated. People sleep on it. Did you what not have a Zanga? Zanga? You didn't have a Zanga? I've never heard of that. doesn't have a Zanga? My girlfriend hasn't either. I'm, I'm hanging around with the wrong crowd. Uh, you know, we never grew up <laughs> thinking that social media would be so prevalent related to our job. And maybe that was ignorance on the adults educating us and guiding us into that profession. But no one knew how huge this would be in terms of the one-to-one -one connection that the business journalism has always sought to make, whether that was making sure that the newspaper was on your door the minute you woke up the next day. It's always been about how quick you can get it from the source to the reader. And Twitter has just been the perfect medium for yeah. that, as crazy as that is, which just if you boil it down to that bare minimum, it, it does make sense to see it like that. But none of us could have seen when we were hopping on. I mean, I know that I retweeted and, and tweeted a bunch of dumb stuff that once I had a chance to make it in this business, I went back and was like, oh, shouldn't it be tweeting about so-and-so at a party and just dumb stuff like favorite songs, you know? Yeah. None of us would have done that. <laughs> I had big regrets about some stuff I tweeted and nothing harmful like that, just about how pointless and stupid it was because people will find that stuff and eat it up and repost it and embarrass you with old pictures and we didn't see any of that coming. Yeah. Yeah, but it, and it's different. So, because I'll go back to what you like a little bit of a point that you were just talking about is the immediacy of of what you do. It's the immediacy of the story, the immediacy of the score. You know, everything like that. It's immediate. So, and I'll completely age myself. Like, you know, I had a subscription to Sports Illustrated. I had to wait in the mail to get any of these articles. We only had six o'clock news. Grant, keep shaking your head, Graham. This is going to go sideways real fast. I'm telling you. But we had, uh, so that's, the, <laughs> and that is where I, I want to, I'm going to kind of lead in a little bit because in a sense, you guys not only have to be social media savvy, you, you also have to be like sales and marketing. You, you have to be, and, and then somewhere in there, you've got to be a professional writer. So it's, it's kind of like you're, you're your own, like you're, your Twitter at is like your own sports illustrated. Um, it really is. It just becomes where you have to do all of this to get this interaction out. And it, it seems like to people, you don't really, I'll just say it, it. People sometimes think, well, I, you know, they don't do much. They just sit, they'll watch a game and they'll write a story. But I think that everything that you envelope into what you do um, it really puts you in a space where you're you're kind of like you're a multi-level professional on the things that you do. Uh, how do you how do you manage that with your time and your life? Because like I mean, like we're talking with Nick before we started recording. I've got I've got this game on this day, then I go right to this game, and then I have a press conference, and I have another press conference, and then this is released, and then tonight we have, you know, the the bracket release, and you know, Antoine's got sweat running down the side of his face, wondering like, what the hell am I doing? So, <laughs> on a, on a professional level, you have to do and learn so many things. And it, it doesn't seem like that's, well, I could go to class and I can learn all this. How, does that just evolve over time to say, okay, I've really hit my spot? And there's, I'll, I'll equate this only to like um, when I was playing music. There were two points for me when I was playing music that I learned of like markers for me. The first marker was this is what I want to do 
with my life or this portion of my life. And, and that was a moment I had to say, okay, this is what I want to do. Then there was a second marker that I had. It's like, okay, I'm good at this. I didn't stop. Like that was a moment where I said I was good. Like, okay, I can do this job. I can do this thing. Uh, what, what are those points for you as far as your profession? The, the time that you said, this is what I want to do with my life. And secondly, the time that you said, I'm really good at this. I'm going to really make a run at it now. <laughs> uh, for me, I think I, all three of us are waiting on that second point. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Yeah. <laughs> and, and it could be you could be waiting for that point to say like, okay, I'm really good at this because from some of the stuff I've read, there's there's at least one or two of you in here that might not have gotten there yet. <laughs> I, I know for me, yeah. Um, as far as like, I just I knew I like I, I knew I wanted to stay do something sports sports wise. I, I didn't I, I knew I couldn't play anything, so like I sucked at sports, but I love. Uh, I love talking about it. I love uh, just the art of it and trying to, yeah, I figured, you know, I was good at writing, so let me try to do this. So I started out in uh, undergrad uh, with East Carolina. Uh, all of a sudden, you know, I started reporting about the football team and I uh, started covering them. And, you know, all of a, I guess, you know, it just grew from there. And I, I found out that I was at least decent. Uh, they People kept offering me jobs, so I figured I was like, Okay, maybe I could do this. <laughs> um, so I just kept getting more and more offers and then keep climbing the ladder. And, you know, I, I think when you're close to it, uh, at least for me, I didn't know how good I was. I, I probably still don't actually to an extent. But, you know, nobody, nobody, people, people want to just keep hiring me and I keep climbing the ladder. So I must be doing something right at this point. So, yeah, uh, and that's kind of how it is. You've also done some professional work, also, like with um, with professional sports teams. So, yeah, I've I mean, you've, you've, Dolphins, you've, yeah. yeah, you've run a gamut of a lot of really cool spaces in your profession. So that's definitely something that you should be proud of and continuing to do. Yeah, I'm just close. I'm too close to it now to kind of. I should probably appreciate it a little bit more than what I do, but yeah, I'm just so close to it and in the moment that I'm just kind of yeah. always just laser focused. Yeah, I was the I was the opposite. I didn't have a plan B. I thought I was going to be a professional baseball player from the time I was, you know, six years old. And then you get to college and you realize you're at a Division three school. Uh, you're a five foot ten right fielder who's hitting a buck ninety seven, and that you might not play professional sports. So today, <laughs> when I got into journalism, and journalism was my, I, I went from an education major thinking I was going to coach baseball to uh, sociology major thinking uh, my dad's an attorney or uh, he re retired now but was thinking all right well I'll go to law school and uh, ended up just kind of falling into journalism and I thought oh it's probably a bunch of people like me a bunch of uh, slow football players or uh, <laughs> short basketball players that just wanted to stay, stick around sports um, so I kind of just fell into journalism um, so yeah definitely haven't I think it was just lucky to, to find journalism. I go to UCF and um, got a, an internship writing. I, I grew up a Florida fan, got an internship writing for Bleacher Report covering Florida. So for me, that's awesome. I'm, a, I'm at UCF and I'm covering the Gators and uh, and then got my jobs. I mean, I've been covering Florida since 2012 now. Um, I don't know what it's like. To, what would it be like to cover anyone else, Antoine? Uh, <laughs> I wouldn't mind back down to Miami though. That's for sure. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so it's like a totally different – and I thought – everybody was like me it's just a former athlete and it didn't work out and then you just wanted to stick close to sports so you chose to write about it and i get to 
journalism school and I'm like, oh, there's kids here who have clips from high school in their like newspaper. <laughs> I've I've written a paper that turned into yeah. a professor once or twice. I'm like, oh, th- these people actually like knew what they wanted to do in high school and I am not there yet. And, uh, Nick's, Nick's got a spiral notebook with some doodles and like a half a paragraph and like this is my submission I hope it works out for me <laughs> that, was, that, was it. that was it I think I think probably what's uh, what's helped me is that journalism when we're in school you're supposed to be Walter Cronkite and it's you're a fly on the wall you don't interject yourself into the story you just tell the facts as fairly and evenly as you can and then when I'm in school, this is like Bill Simmons is getting popular, and now he's getting popular for being a fan and for being himself. And I think by the time I'm getting out of school, it's like, okay, now social media is a thing, and you're not Walter Cronkite telling the news like this. With no, You have to kind of build and market yourself while still reporting. So I think that's yeah. probably what has helped me, just realizing that and, and then probably playing off of that because I don't think I'm the best writer. Um but I think I can write so it's easy to read. Like I, I can get super technical with baseball. No one's going to want to read that. So it's just about knowing who you're writing to, marketing yourself. I think I've gotten uh, kind of lucky with that, maybe fooled some people uh, into following me for, uh, for eight years now. Yeah. I mean, that's an unfair way to paint it, Nick. But first I got to say, obviously you haven't been on Twitter because if you have, you would know that everyone is a former athlete on Twitter. And uh, (laughs) I think that everything you're taught in journalism school kind of goes out the window, though, when you do get on Twitter, because exactly that you have to market your personality on top of your writing. I think that is just such a huge part, whether it's your experience, your personality, your wit, humor, one aspect of your personality has to come through so that people can get a little bit aside from just what you're writing. They have to be able to get something in those 280 characters, whether it's being able to relate to you as a former athlete or someone who can just break it down. And even there's value in, in writing as someone who is upfront about not being a former athlete, being on the outside spectrum, appealing to the people on the outside. That's a huge, I think, tool that Twitter has popularized in a sense. But for me, I think that that is probably my biggest struggle. I, I think I could say is having my personality come through on social media and in, in my writing as well. I mean, I, I am do everything pretty much yeah. by the book, AP style. You won't catch me making many puns or having too much fun with my stuff. And there comes a point in time where you realize that that is setting you back, possibly. Maybe that's a little bit too harsh, but that really is not the best tool at your disposal. I I think that if you care about advancing as a reporter, you have to have your personality come through. And Twitter has, I think, reinforced that notion for, for as much as, for as much negativity as we can put on it, for sure. That is absolutely a fair point is that Twitter has made it so that the journalists that are rising are personable and engaging with the fans who qualified or not do have an opinion that you often have to, cater to fancy whatever you want to call it put up with yeah yeah, yeah and it, it, go ahead Antoine I was just gonna say yeah to kind of piggyback off of that yeah I think that 
yeah, you have to show some kind of personality because if you don't, then um, yeah, a lot of these fans don't. I mean, I, I have I have people that I know that have written for and for years, like decades, and they might just tweet something like an article and then don't necessarily interact with the fans. But you know, and, and you can get clicks and stuff like that, but it's not the same. You don't have that personal type relationship with them, uh, like. I think some of the younger um, writers do. So I think it's important to have that. That's why I'm like, yeah, I I think um, at some point for me, like I kind of want to go into uh, teaching in yet a university while still doing what I'm doing, because I feel like you have a lot of professors now that don't understand that that's what you need. Now you need to have that. You need to have that type of relationship as a uh, journalist with the people. It doesn't have to, you don't have to necessarily answer every single question, but you kind of have to have that personal relationship because that's how you build your audience. And also, you know, you continue to brand yourself in a certain way too, as well. Yeah. I want to, I want to piggyback off of, of two things that you just said, Antoine. Then the first one would be uh, when you're in journalism school at this point, you know, I would hope, I would think, I don't know, I'm not in journalism school, but that there would be some sort of social media aspect to what they're being taught. Some because schools, yes. Some schools, yes. I'm sure some, some do, not, but yeah. I, I'm sure some don't. And I think that if they don't, in this day and age, if you're looking to break into this business, you're, you're doing your students a huge disservice because you would, you would have to do that. That's, that's where a vast majority of a lot of people are starting to get more and more news. And it's not just Twitter, it's Facebook, it's Instagram, it's whatever the hell one Graham said from, Zanga. you know, God knows when, Zanga. <laughs> um, and so that would seem to me like that has to be an integrated part of the education these days. So as, uh, you know, as you guys in the media who are kind of on the, on the, precipice of this who started with this and who are learning it to someday be able to bring your experiences when you it was a ground floor thing to be on social media and promote your articles promote your news promote yourself that you would be greatly needed at some point on that education platform to begin to teach these new people what it's like like this is what i've learned over the time of when social media really became the force that it is now in news and and for good and for bad yeah, I think absolutely. Yeah, I think you def- you definitely have to because yeah, you could teach a you could just have a class just based on social media and how you know how you're supposed to carry yourself on, as far as a journalist too as well and how you can brand. Yourself. You can have a minor in in how to in how to market yourself. You, you kind of yeah. could. Yeah, yeah, you kind of could you because to, you, you guys do that. You need to, you guys yeah. do that. That's that's a that's a good portion of your of your job on a on a daily basis as part of that is part of the self-promotion the marketing the sales i mean you're you're not just selling the outlet that you write for you're selling like graham said you're selling yourself you're selling your personality who you are what you're about is is part of your writing and part of your writing style to get people to click on your articles and we'll run the click part because the show is going to be titled clickbait and that word is a very catchy word it has some derogatory connotations to it um because of the bait part obviously 
what is your differential between the writing that you do, the articles that you write, the message that you want to put out, the information that you want to put out, and compare that to when somebody throws back that word clickbait to you? What, is that, what does that mean for you or to you? And how do you kind of tend to react to that word being used with what you do? I love when someone says a tweet of mine with no link in it is clickbait. And I'm like, I don't understand. There's nothing for you to click here. Retweet or like, but there's nothing for you to click here. It is for us. I think I, I don't know how they feel. I feel like it's a derogatory term, um, but it, it, it's kind of where we are. I think media, whether it's sports or politics or whatever. Um, has gotten to the point where uh, I don't think people necessarily want news, myself included, as much as they want their opinions to be um, echo chambered back to them. That's absolutely correct. Yeah. So if you have this opinion uh, in politics, you're going to go to watch Fox or CNN or MSNBC to, to hear your opinion come out of the TV back at you. So I think there's a lot of stuff people say, oh, well, that's clickbait. Well, maybe it's not. It's probably a well-researched story with facts, but you don't agree with it, and it's not necessarily clickbait. There's also ways you can word things, um, but for me, maybe it's different. I've never gotten paid by clicks or anything like that. So for me, I'm not really – I've never been incentivized by, hey, if this story gets 50,000 clicks, you're going to get a bonus. So I've never – um, tried to be super juicy. And I think a lot of the stuff we write about too is you have to write what fans want to hear about. Yeah. I've written so many quarterback stories from spring football. I'm like, I don't think <laughs> another angle I can possibly write about but about these quarterbacks, but that's what I get the most interaction with. So it's like, okay, well, should I write about the punter? I have a, I have a, you know, a 4,000 word story ready about the punter, but who's going to read that? So you kind of have to write for what your audience uh, wants to read, too. So do I want to write another quarterback story? No, but if Dan Mullen says something about the quarterbacks tomorrow, I'm going to write about the quarterbacks tomorrow. Hashtag punters are people, too. You know, I, yeah. I kind of look at it as, <laughs> well, one, the word is just clickbait. I mean, you baited someone. It's implying that you tricked them. I mean, it's kind of offensive to paint just when you're, teasing your articles if someone you tricked them because not everything is a trick it may just be you're, you're telling the reader why they should read this but i really look at it as it's kind of like a movie trailer I, I mean you see a movie trailer before so many things these days and it often is not telling you exactly what the movie is like or how it's gonna turn out in order to find out you're gonna have to pay that 10 15 dollars at the movie theater to go find out and then it may have an entirely different ending than what you thought it would be like from watching that trailer. But how many people walk out of that movie and say, wow, that trailer was clickbait. I mean, I'm thinking that Hermione and Ron end up together. You know, you're never getting that from other forms of media, even though other quote unquote clickbait has existed throughout entertainment's history. So just because the way that we, as you said yeah. in the first 20 minutes, now have to promote stories in a way that just entices the reader to want to find out more, it's now being twisted as if we are tricking them. I mean, I can understand the label. Like I said, if, if you click a story and it says, find out these hot girls hanging out with the Florida football team, and then it just is a story about the punters that no one wants to read. Sorry, Nick. That is clickbait. But when you're accurately 
telling people what yeah. they're going to get out of the story. You're just giving them that 280 character version of why they should click on it. I don't see much harm with it, but I I see the vitriol yeah. and the reaction that it gets from people. And a lot of it is because of the powers that be. You know, we aren't in control of whether you're going to get a subscribe now or turn off your ad blocker now. None of us are thinking about that when we post our links, but so much of the heat does fall back on us. Yeah, I think uh, the point is, like, we're trying to get people to read stories. That's kind of how it is. I mean, it's not like uh, we're making up false information or anything like that. It's just the fact that we're trying to bring you in in maybe a creative way. And some people don't necessarily say, wait, if I give you the entire story online, then you're not going to want to read the story. So the yeah. whole point is, is I want to bring you in somehow. So I need to give you a, it's like fishing. Like, yeah, you need to have bait. They're able to catch fish. So I need to be able to bring you in somehow, whether it be like a catchy line or a catchy tweet or, you know, kind of teaser or whatever the case may be. That's what, that's what it is. You don't get mad at me because that's what the game is. I mean, this is, this is the reality of the situation. Yeah. Like, yeah, I mean, that, yeah, I'm just trying to find creative ways to bring you in and read the stories. And then that way you'll maybe want to read more or whatever the case And, and we're people too. It might sound good to you in your head when you're crafting it and then it comes off and you start getting backlash and you look at it and you're like, yeah, that didn't, that, that played out differently when I, it sounded better in my head than when I tweeted it or put it yeah. out and I see what you're saying. We're yeah. going to make mistakes too. Um, I, I think my mistake was probably. But there are. There are people uh, in the same business that do that part, though, of the, like you were saying, Graham, of the click on article A, and when you click on a link, it takes you to something that had no relevance whatsoever to what the initial, like, headline or, or grab line was. And I think that in some senses, that does you guys, guys like you, a disservice because it instantly lumps you into the same category. Well, I clicked on this person, and now everything, and, and we're, we're such a blanket society that, like, it can't be, well, this guy's good, and this guy's good, and this guy does this. It's like, well, everybody in the industry is out to get me and grab my money and make me click on something or make me subscribe to something and put up a paywall and, and all that stuff. And that's not always the case. And it feels like sometimes you, uh, that there's, there's a differential. It, there's no way to put a disclaimer on it to say, well, I'm Graham Hall and I don't do this, you know, because it makes the other people that may do and they could be friends and they're trying to do their own business too. However they go about it. So it, is it crucial to sort of also have in what you write and in what you do the integrity of, you know, what you're going to read on this link or this little short blast in the characters to, to have that incorporated into what they're actually going to click on and link. Because once you sort of break that trust of, of, okay, I've read a couple of things from this person and it's not what it said it was going to be. So obviously now they're labeled as clickbait. So you find that it's like it's 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 very important to say if this little blurb I'm sending out is this information, I'm going to click on that link and that's what it's going to get me to so I can be invested in this writer as a trustworthy writer. I think yeah, so I, often I would, that, go back. once you break that. No, go, no, ahead, go, go ahead, ahead, Graham. Just once you break that, go it's ahead, so Graham. hard to recover and get that back in, in that sense. Um, if you've developed that reputation that you have to go out of your way to earn that trust back. And I think so few people no matter what industry they're in go past the job requirements if they have to earn the trust back of people that 
aren't necessarily affecting whether they have that job or not, if they're not facing powers from the top or pressure from the top to to change the way that they're interacting and way they're promoting the stories to rebuild that trust, I don't think you're going to see too much incentive to do that. But, you know, use the term industry. So many people use the blanket term, the media does this, the media does that, that you are going to be lumped in to what right. everyone else does, no matter what, once the public perception is that the majority of people do that, you are there going to be lumped into that category. But to complain about that is, I, I would say unfair, because the quote unquote, the media is not the first one to have to deal with that. Yeah, yeah, I was just, no, just going to say, um, just going back to what you said with the paywall and stuff like that, when people people don't understand, it's like, okay, you pay all the, you have all these subscriptions for TV and, uh, and like Netflix and, you know, whatever. Like nowadays, I mean, it's the same thing. We're trying to get paid <laughs> too. Like, I mean, damn. Yeah, can, can I get Can I get some of that? Like, <laughs> I mean, damn, like, it's not like journalism, journalists make a ton of money anyway. I didn't get into business for money. If I did that, if I wanted to make money, then hell, I'd be a nurse or something like that. Like, I mean, damn sure I ain't getting paid what I uh, believe <laughs> I need to be making. But yeah, the fact of the matter is like, yeah, people get mad because of the payrolls. But yeah, I mean, we have to make a living somehow. Um, so what do you think, Nick? I, I, I pay for... I enjoy. I pay for the Athletic. Um, I pay for the Same Washington here. Post. I pay for the New York Times. I have no problem paying a premium for a product or a service that I enjoy. Um, I, I don't pay for Graham's stories at the Gainesville Sun. That's for sure. Um, but but to me, I'm not. And I get why people have. Who wants to Who wants to read stories about field hockey? I yeah. mean, come on. <laughs> The industry That'd changed. Be some of what I've written. <laughs> the industry changed, and, and people weren't ready to like have to pay for it. But do you want to, you know, uh, do you want to have video ads pop up, or all these, you know, pop up windows pop up when you go to click on a story, or it's just like, hey, listen, for the athletic, you're gonna pay. I gotta, I'm paid like one dollar a month for the athletic. I got on some kind of crazy deal, and I go and I read great journalism, great stories, great feature stories. And I don't have to worry about an ad coming up. I'm not going to hear about, you know, this rug cleaner um, that I don't care about, you know, being in the middle of my yeah. story. So to me, <laughs> maybe it's because I'm in the industry, but I mean, while, while, while we've been podcasting, I just had my Apple music subscription for $10 this month pop up. And I'm like, yeah, that's it. Yeah. I want to listen to my music. So that's $10 I'm going to pay a month. Yeah. And it's different too, because I mean, when, when you're talking about how like the paywall and that's why I kind of brought it up because I can relate that again, this is, this is Chris aging himself. Part two is, you know, we paid for it. it people don't realize, and maybe some, maybe it's just out a little bit of an ignorance or not having to do it, but you know, we had newspaper subscriptions we used to pay for all the time. When we would read the newspaper, it wasn't immediate news, but you had to pay for it. You had to pay for magazine subscriptions, ESPN, the magazine, Sports Illustrated. You, you, know, had, to all- buy that, you had to buy that pigeon food when you had to send mail. I mean, the pigeon it's- wasn't, wasn't free either. We ate the pigeon and just <laughs> threw the letter. That was all it really was. I so it's kind of like it's I guess it's it's just a different way to pay and like you brought up Antoine and even Nick like I I 
subscribe to The Athletic. You know, that's definitely, do you see that that's kind of where the industry is going, where there's a singular outfit that sort of satellites all these different reporters from different sports and things well, like let that? Me, let me hop in here real quick. Antoine, I, I, I think that you and I can provide an interesting perspective here on this because we work technically for the same company, Gannett Media. And the yeah. fact that if you went on yeah. Tallahassee Democrat or the Gainesville Sun and would have to have separate subscriptions doesn't make too much sense to me. And I, I don't want to <laughs> stir up any controversy whatsoever, but I would think that there would be a Netflix type idea in the future where if you subscribe just to Gannett and you got access to USA Today coverage and then every one of their local markets, you could get on the app and read news from Antoine, read news from me if, if, if you really want to torture yourself, you know, read all of the stuff that Gannett Media owned under one banner for one price. If that was something, I think that you would see subscription numbers go up, but we have yet to see the urgency, I would say, and, and I don't want to speak out of turn because it may be happening behind closed doors, but you haven't seen it happen like what happened when Netflix realized they had a window and, and they jumped in there and took that because numbers are dwindling and, and they've yet to find a, yeah, an answer. Yeah, I, I think that's a good point. Yeah. I think you definitely uh, should have some kind of main thing because yeah, I mean, I, I don't, I, I don't understand that either, especially when that person, especially if you're a bit sports fan too, and you might be a fan of, you know, Detroit lions or, you know, you might be, you know, Florida alum or Florida State alum or whatever the case may be. And yeah, you should be able to read all of that stuff um, and just pay one price per month or at least have that option as opposed to subscribing to all those papers. I think that's that, that would be a better idea than kind of the model yeah. that they are doing. Well, and it's like I think that um, like Nick having with Rivals also is that is one rival subscription kind of gets you access to everything that's Rivals. So, and I think Graham's kind of promoting the same idea or thinking of the same idea. Like if it's this media conglomerate, why can't I just have a single login for that? And I could read, I mean, you know, if you like different teams, why you would want to read something if you're a Florida fan, then somehow be a fan of something from Florida State, that part I wouldn't understand because, I mean, really, who likes Florida State? Well, they must, they must sell some house divided bumper stickers. So you just market it right <laughs> those families that are, you know, he's sharing the account, with, you know, among spouses, and then they can read about their favorite teams for one low price. I mean, that seems to be a marketing advertising opportunity right there. If you want to call it that. Yeah. 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 And I think that it, it, like I said before, maybe just because it's the paywall, like the, do people expect this stuff for free? I guess they, maybe they expect it for free because it's on Twitter and Twitter is free. You know what I mean? But if you go to GainesvilleSun.com, you're not just going to be able to read everything on the Gainesville Sun. So it's kind of comes over to like, you don't pay anything to be on Twitter. Why do I have to pay for, uh, you know, a subscription to Nick's thing? But it's, it's the priority of saying like, we are giving you access to information in a, you know, immediately that's being written that you can't just see scrolling up and down different social media platforms. So I think it's important that people realize that also that you're giving them content that they can't read in 280 characters. I mean, unless you hop into Graham's DMs and have conversations about God knows what, it's a scary place. Don't want to see that. But the, yeah, you don't want to see that. So I think, it, I think it's important for, you know, as far as a promotional thing to understand what exactly you're getting 
by by being involved in what you guys do. I think it's important. And there's a lot, there's a lot that goes into it. I think Graham, I was worried about Graham. He said, you know, I don't want to be controversial here. I'm like, Graham, don't get fired. Uh, don't get fired. On the <laughs> yeah, I know. Here, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I think, and, and I'm definitely speaking out of terms. I've never worked for a paper, but I think the newspapers were not ready for this whole shift to online, this whole not shift at all. multimedia. Not at all. Um, and people, you know, I don't understand why. I mean, they've they've moved to online, but it's like you said, Chris. Like, hey, if I wanted that paper to be on my doorstep five days a week, six days a week, seven days a week, I paid, I sent my check in to the Sun Sentinel, and then I would get my paper. So you've always paid for that paper. Now you're just paying to read it online. But yeah. there's so much. There's so many places to get stuff online. You're like, why do I have to pay for that? I I can go to yeah. Reddit and find it. I can go to this place and find it. It was a change of the confusion too of saying like I have one newspaper that comes to my house that covers everything, world news, local news, state news, everything else. You know, I have one sports magazine that comes to my house and it covers baseball, football, basketball, hockey, everything else, Olympics, the whole thing. And now it's so spread out, I guess you have to be fundamentally like, well, what what's the best outlet that I can use to sort of recreate this where I can get all the information that I want on what I'm interested in 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 a bundle or this person for this and this person for this and i think it becomes a little convoluted when like you said like everything sometimes should be tied together so i can get this package and get this bundle like somebody's throwing me an online newspaper to my door every day and i can i can read a full scope of of what's going on in the worlds that i'm concerned about so that makes good you know, I I hate to get political here, but and that's never a good duo saying controversial and now political. But a lot of this is I political. Just said, Graham, don't get fired. I'm I'm trying not to get fired if you haven't necessarily gotten hired yet. But I think that so much of this is political because a lot of it does come down to legislature. It's not a crime or one that they're going after if you screenshot an article that's supposed to be behind a paywall and then you upload that photo to Twitter or send it to all your friends so that they don't have to pay, you know, that's not considered a crime. Just like two decades ago, people didn't think they were doing anything wrong by downloading music from Napster and downloading music from LimeWire. And then all of a sudden the government said, we are changing how we go after people. They create the RIAA. They start fining people in Minnesota $25,000 for stealing stained and Creed songs which I think the fine should be more if we're being honest, but they start actually prosecuting <laughs> people who are stealing forms of media. And you have not seen that with print media at all. You have not seen yeah. any type of legislature created to make it a, enforceable, these paywalls, and to really protect, I think you'd say is a fair word, uh, the value of that industry as it transitions to online, which as you guys have noted, yeah. was not prepared for the transition at all. No, not at all. Like, yeah, it's, you're still seeing signs of that today uh, with a lot of the things newspaper do. Uh, I mean, even, like I say, kind of what we do nowadays. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's kind of, yeah, you, I mean, you get the paper. Uh, like I say, we still, we both work for paper newspapers, but yeah, you get the paper and then there's things that don't necessarily transition. Like like, we, like you cancel a game or whatever the case may be, or a game gets canceled, especially with how COVID's been doing this year. 
and then the paper, the uh, person may get it in the paper and think the game is going on because we end up writing it uh, the day before. But you know, some people don't get online. I mean, that's I mean, yeah. it's crazy to say that, especially in twenty twenty one. But uh, yeah, it's still people that don't necessarily get online and get get their news that way. Um, I, I think that's fascinating, but that's the case <laughs> from what I found out. Yeah, and. And Antoine, you brought up, like, I want to move to what you were mentioning because you mentioned COVID. So, I mean, obviously 2020, we're all very familiar with what's been going on for the last 12 months. And how has, how has what happened with COVID and the lack of particular access on a face-to-face basis, how has that sort of projected what you're able to do? Because I mean, all as like all of a sudden you were like everybody else in the world where all of a sudden my press conferences and my access to, to players or to personnel or to coaches or to anything, all of a sudden became like, I couldn't just kind of talk to you in the hallway and about like, what's going on here? Can I get some insight? It was like, all of a sudden, everything just became zoom meetings. Like how did that restrict what you were able to do? Uh, as far as reporting on, on what you needed to report on. Oh, it's and how it's, yeah. Yeah, I was going to sure. say, yeah, I think it's really changed the whole lot. Well, I think some aspects of Zoom are going to stay, depending on the um, the off-season programs and what's going on. But, yeah, it kind of limits that um, face-to-face interaction and, and trying to get to know somebody, um, you know, even when you talk about coaches or players. Because when you're having that personal interaction, when they when they see you up close, then you know you make that connection when you know you're on a computer you don't you're not going to have that same kind of connection uh like you would um in person that's just how it is and you know doing like last year was no spring football for anybody really outside of maybe a few practices and then covid hit and everything gets kind of shut down uh this year yeah. been a little different teams are they're still taking the protocols but um it's still you know it's still zoom meetings still zoom press conferences um until further notice probably until the fall and then we'll see how it goes from there but at least going into this uh, summer it's going to be the same thing too as well but yeah just making it less personable um i know especially and as a reporter you have to you you want to make that connection with coaches uh you want to be able to sit down and have them know you and be able to have those conversations where they can feel like you know maybe tell you things off the record or have those yeah. uh, in-person meetings or whatever the case may be. So, yeah, I think it's – like I said, I think it's hurting in that way. But, I mean, that's just kind of how the world has been the last year. It's yeah, that's how everybody's there. been. And I think maybe even more so for yourself, Antoine, because it's kind of a – it's it's sort of a newer place for you. Yeah. With And all of a sudden in a transition of coaching staff and can't transition of different people. So that had to be a, a very, like – Am I am I going to meet these people in person? You know, when they come on board, it, it's kind of hard to do that to get that relationship. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I've met um, my editor like twice, really, and that's really about it in person. Uh, everything <laughs> else has just been kind of been online. I mean, or like we even have our uh, staff meetings online. That that's kind of how it is right now. I mean, yeah. that's probably how it's going to be until you know the foreseeable future, just because of the COVID yeah. and. People still waiting to get vaccinated, and uh, if they're going to get vaccinated, if they're not. Yeah. How about you, Graham? Yeah, you know, I would. This is a tough one for me to answer because honestly, I to give a fair answer may sound a little bit, I don't know, overly confident in the sense, but maybe Nick would drop the facade for a second and possibly agree with this. But I think that one of my best traits <laughs> is my ability to 
relate to people, disarm people when we're in public, like, you know, just ease the tension, have a normal conversation with people. And I think that's like a reporter's best trait is yeah. not put this pressure on the conversation you're about to have with an individual, just two real people talking. And yeah, if I were to say right now that I consider myself to be really funny and witty, there would probably be 99% of people on Twitter who know me that would disagree with that just because they don't really know me in real life. But, <laughs> you know, that's not really how I am. I mean, one of my best traits is my ability to interview people and ask very down to earth, easy to ask questions to get a normal human response out of my subject. And that does not translate to zoom where you are. Yeah, it does. It just, it's just doesn't, there's just, it's hard to explain. You would think that it would be easier to come across as like a likable, funny individual, but there's too much awkwardness that happens in zoom pauses stuff that social cues you you would just kind of wince at in public happen often on zoom people yeah. talking over the one way, another the raise hand riffing doesn't happen yeah i don't know no. you know you just you naturally would be able to get yeah, I was gonna say, yeah, I, someone's wit see we're doing it right now like we're we normally would be having this laughable witty conversation and that's just harder to have over yeah. zoom and that is so when you get 18 to 22 year old athletes regularly coming in who are scared about their answers, being able to ease them really quickly when they don't know you is I think a valuable trait of the profession that most people don't realize because you see us online and you say, Oh, that's an awkward, weird reporter who's trying to be professional online while also relatable. But when you get to know them in person, I mean, that is a valuable quality being able to, come off as relatable to anyone you meet without knowing them. And I think that if you can see that some of that on Twitter in every response to people, you'll realize that, Oh, that reporter does that on a daily basis. If that makes sense. And it's harder to do that with zoom. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, it is difficult to, it's difficult to translate that in, in even in any profession and certainly in your profession, because you, you're, you're dealing with, you know, younger guys who are nervous about answers and it just, everything kind of feels a little like stale and you get all the pat answers and you can't see body language really. And you can't, you know, just have that regular conversation that you would, like you said, Graham, like up, up close and, you know, and just say on the, on the conversation, like, Hey, you're doing great. You know, this, it, it just, it, you lose that. You lose that. You can't Nick. replace, yeah. You can't replace, um, face-to-face -face interaction. I think Antoine said it. it's just impersonal. We've gotten used to zoom and we're getting better with it, but it's still, you know, and it's kind of where we are. You get, you know, the keyboard warriors because, um, you can say whatever you want when you're when you're on you know Twitter. You don't even have to have your picture. You can just say whatever you want. Um, we've just become desensitized as, as a society because we're staring at screens, we're staring at computers, and now probably the most human aspect of our job, which is so much of being a journalist, is building relationships. And I don't know if they teach you that much in school, and you kind of figure that out when when you kind of get into it. You're like. Why does this guy want to talk to me? Oh, well, we have a relationship, a, a prior a prior relationship. You know, I, I've covered him from when he was a 16-year-old recruit. Now he's a 22-year-old redshirt senior. We've known each other for a while, and, and, and we have that relationship. And it's just really yeah. hard to build that through a computer screen when there's 26 people. They're staring at a screen. They're like, wait, what is this? 
why <laughs> it's just it's just really impersonal and kind of desensitizing to 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 have to do these interviews um you know through the computer yeah and then you yeah, have to wait, and i have to wait to ask a question like i don't know how it is with the gator uh prior, or the press conferences but i have to raise use the raise hand function and you know all this and some people's even a year after zoom like they still don't know how to mute their mic too, which Can't mute just baffles mic. me. Yeah, yeah it, or, or just, start talking and they're still on mute. And it's like, hey, you're on mute. Yeah, I'm like, dude, come on, yeah. like we've been doing this a year. Like you, you ought to know this by now. <laughs> My mom got a funny... for dummies book, and and if anyone out there, old reporters need to borrow it, it. Let me know. I'll uh, I'll fax you over yeah. some pages. Yeah, so it ain't, the first it's not time... hard. Yeah, it's not hard to mute your mic as soon as you come on. I mean, seriously. The first time I met Graham, there's a little Graham story. So the first time I met Graham was at a uh, a tailgate, and Uh-oh. Graham, the young the Graham, the young buck reporter, he's on his bicycle with his backpack. He is hustling up the sidewalk, uh, headed to the uh, indoor facility. I think that I think the IPF was built at that point. It, it's been a few years. It's a few years ago. So poor Graham's riding up the sidewalk. He's just you know, sweat. He's just anxious. He's really, he's got a deadline. He pulls over. He recognizes a few people. We introduce ourselves and a couple of people. And I tell Graham, you know, you look hungry, you're hungry. You want a water something like that. Give Graham some food and a couple of waters. And he ate and drank that. Like he had just spent seven days in the desert coming out of the <laughs> desert. Like, I mean, I felt so bad for the poor kid. He was like, yeah, I just, uh, and and he was. I, I met him. I talked to him. He he hung around for a little bit until he had to go, you know, do his story or or do whatever he was on his way to do. And so you don't really know the people that are behind your you know your ats and things like that. And and Graham and I like hit it off pretty good. We're like you know we we chat back and forth quite often about lots of different things. So and not everyone's going to have the opportunity to do that. You know what I mean? Like because it, it's just not going to happen that way. But I think if people take the time to realize that, you know, you guys are very much just, just dudes trying to do a job. Like I'm, we're not trying to trick anybody. We're not trying to fault anybody. Um, you know, there obviously, like I said before, sometimes when people, when people do bad things or things they shouldn't do or write stories, they shouldn't write that everybody gets lumped in, but that's just the society that we're in. So somehow you individually have to break yourself away from that you know, not by just coming out and saying, I'm not like that guy, you know what I mean? Like, don't, uh, but to say, you know, to, to have that personality sort of interact over the social media to come across as this is somebody I can relate to. So because I can do that, this is somebody whose story I would like to read, or these are a person I'd like to follow because they give good information. They're funny, they're personable, they're energetic, they're professional. Um, and by the way, Graham, so when I was at Nick's house last year, and we called you up to see if you were doing lunch, wanted to do lunch. And of course, Last you were busy. Yeah, you were busy and you big timed us, which was totally fine. You know, we didn't <laughs> worry about that. But I just, I just want to come clean with something. And this was totally Nick's idea. I had nothing to do with it. We were actually going to get, we were actually going to send you to the wrong restaurant on purpose <laughs> and, and not meet up with you. I would have taken it well. That's a good thing. <laughs> There's no such thing as a bad restaurant in Gainesville, so I would have looked at it in the right way and just got a good meal and left. But no, in all, in all honesty, you know, going back to what we talked about in the beginning, Chris, you know, I know that I can sometimes come off poorly on social media or even 
sarcastic, maybe even antagonistic is a, is a fair term at times. But, you know, what you just said, you know, I understand that the fans are what makes the program you cover, whether it's FSU, whether it's Florida, Miami, wherever, the fan base makes the job ultimately worth doing in a sense because without the program they you know people use the term lifeblood but without the fan base the program would not be where it is and that is true for every single fan base out there so as hard as it is to be objective even when you familiarize yourself with fans it is definitely worth meeting the fans getting their takes relating with them connecting with them you know disagreeing with them as well you know i've been to several tailgates and i know you know this you know it wasn't just food you offered me i know that i had a few beers in between there when i was a few hours away from having to head to somewhere and or i was heading home and i know that we <laughs> sat there and said you know what do you think about this what do you think about that and we were able to respect each other's opinions and what we were talking about with zoom that is also lost on twitter too often one party comes off as sarcastic or condescending or as if they aren't willing to listen to reason, whether it's reason on on their own side or stats or whatever it is. Too often you just don't come across the right way. But when you meet people, you can, I think, more often respect the ability to disagree when online that's just not as conducive of an environment to respectfully disagree with people. Yeah. Well, it's the same way with any kind of, um, you know, electronic informational format, really. Like, you know, you read emails and you, you get an email and you read it and it comes off as something and then you email back. It's like, oh, no, that's not what I meant at all. Even in text, like it just, it's not that face-to-face thing that makes it, you I know, use way you too can just exclamation points it. in my emails so that no one can possibly misconstrue that I'm like miffed or angry or anything like that because so often people want to read into like you being upset at one of their emails that I just make sure that and it's so unprofessional at times because I'll be saying like hope all is well to a stranger with like five exclamation marks but so often people just want to be like oh that they're upset they're bothered and oh, so you, so you are so you're weird exclamation oh, yeah. point I'm like guy. your weird Good aunt who's like sending you <laughs> cat photos about like, Charlie right now at 11 o'clock at night just so that you can't possibly feel like you caught me upset in any, in any way. I mean, because it's not that serious. It's not that yeah. serious. And I, that's the least surprising thing that's been said. Yeah, it is the least surprising, surprising thing. Things like Graham, Graham is a over exclamation point email guy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so real that. quick, I want to just, uh, I want to do something. I want to do something real fun here. So what was, uh, uh, by the way, Antoine, I just want to say, I love the, I love the hat. You're a hat collector. You just yeah, like myself. Yeah. And you know, the, so the blue Jays, that's a blue Jays hat, right? Am I correct? Yes. Okay. Yes. So the blue Jays, because they can't play in Toronto this year are actually playing their, uh, their season in Dunedin, which is their stadium is 10 minutes from my house. Oh, wow. And they're actually, they're actually shut the fuck up with that shit. The, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so like, I'm going to go to some blue Jays games because the Orioles, have to come to Dunedin to play. I'm a huge Orioles fan yeah, and I don't get right. to see the Orioles play very much. So I'm actually kind of excited because I get to see the Orioles lose 130 games in person this year, which hey, is great. Yeah. 
mean, I mean, they might be. I think they're getting better. They got a good young. Um, team no, there. they're not. Just, just stop what you're saying right now. <laughs> they're they they this bet. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they're, they're, they're young. So team. They're young. They're young. I mean, they it's pretty much like a minor league team. It's a triple A baseball team. Yeah, that's really pretty much. It. Yeah, it's a triple A baseball. That's, team. that's pretty much what you know, it is. You know, the best players aren't in triple A. They're in double A, and they'll they'll skip triple A on their way to the majors. So yeah, so precisely. <laughs> but so I had a friend. The best minor league, the minor league organization. I had a friend that got drafted by the Royals in the '90s, and they moved him from single A to triple A, and he thought like this was the best thing in the world. I'm going to triple A. I'm I'm like literally one step away from the majors and some of the older guys that were in triple a were like no no you skipped double a like your chances of getting to the majors now have depreciated immensely like you could be (laughs) you could be an eight-year triple a player you might you probably will not sniff the major leagues you've skipped over the most important level yeah yeah you skip triple a from double a you go rookie ball single a double a hey Hey, hey, Rook, you're going up. Get your cup of tea. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> like, no, you're going to the show. You get the yeah, AAA, no, you never those, happened. Those 37-year-old, like you said, nine-year and AAA veterans, and they're just like, hey, I'm playing baseball. I love it, and, and I'm getting paid to do it. I'll play in AAA until they tell me I can't. Uh, but they probably know, hey, probably not getting that. Uh, that yeah. Call. Well, he, he went really quickly to reading meters for the local power company. That's how that worked out. <laughs> so real quick, guys, I want to just ask you one thing. I, I want to uh, just what, what was your what was kind of your favorite sports moment that you covered? Not as a fan of your team, not as ever. What, what's the favorite sports moment that you covered on, and on any level and in any aspect? Um, I have one. Uh, so here's one that fans always ask about and they ask about how cool was um the will greer pass to antonio calloway to beat tennessee and they're like how was i'm like oh the stadium was awesome i go the only quiet place in the stadium was the press box because florida had been losing that almost the entire game now they scored to go up with a minute and and for paper guys you've got a deadline you've got to get your story in Probably as soon as the game is over, you've got to get your story in. It was 27-14 yeah, yeah. with five minutes left. Now it's control-alt-delete, new story, <laughs> let's restart. So like, I'm like, no, we just – everything I had worked on for the five hours I've been here is now gone. That's out the window. And then you start rewriting your story, and Tennessee's driving down the field, and you're like, oh, please, please. I, I've already deleted the story. Tennessee's about to walk down and kick a field goal, and they're going to win the game, and I can't get that back. Um, so that's like a super cool moment, but that's like a glimpse inside of what's going through our minds. So that's an awesome moment to be at. Love that I was there to witness it. It just created like more work for us because, uh, I mean, it's a fun story to write about, but it's literally like you're restarting with a minute 12 left in the game to rewrite your whole story. Uh, I think the coolest one I've been at covering was probably the College World Series in in 2017 to see Florida win it. Yeah. Um, just being yeah. a baseball player growing up to be able to go. I never got to old Rosenblatt, but um, TD Ameritrade is beautiful. Um, Omaha, Nebraska is not so much beautiful. Uh, <laughs> being out there for 17 days by yourself, not, not great. Um, but that was a really cool, really cool thing to see because it wasn't even just watching Florida and covering Florida. I mean, there's just four, four baseball games a day, you know, at, at the beginning, I'm just watching the eight best teams in the country play baseball. 
um, at, at a beautiful park. So that was one of probably my favorite uh, event to cover. Yeah, I grew up. I grew up playing baseball first, so it was. Um, I think that was probably one of my absolute favorite moments as a Florida Gator fan was was seeing the baseball team finally win the World Series because we've been so close so many times. I mean, we've had a a very very good baseball program for many many years through the you know the eighties nineties the early two thousands and we've been close multiple I, times. I, I that was I so fantastic. I didn't understand it. Everyone like. I, I've become like the baseball guy um, for, for Florida fans, but I didn't watch college baseball growing up. Growing up in South Florida, you watch the Marlins, you watch the Heat, you're, it's a pro sports yeah. town. So I didn't ever watch college baseball. And then when I stopped when I stopped playing baseball, I stopped watching baseball entirely. I didn't want to watch a major league, college, anything. So I didn't really start watching college baseball until I was getting paid to cover it. Um, yeah. So people are like, hey, do you remember Brad Wilkerson? I'm like, no. No. <laughs> I wasn't watching Florida even back then. And Brad was on the team in like 2010. So like, it's not, it's, I'm not, he's yeah. not talking about, you know, a player from the seventies before I was born. He's, I just didn't start watching college baseball. So I didn't even understand, you know, Chris, you being a Gator fan and being like, Oh, they've had so many good teams for so long. It's like, I've seen some really good teams and I've only been covering them for eight years. Yeah, no, it's in it. So Chris ages himself part three here <clears throat> it's I have, the last time we're on because uh, we just yeah. <laughs> the, uh, I've I, I mean I've watched probably every baseball world series that I can remember even back in the 80s like I've always liked the college baseball world series it's huge it's for me it's a huge event and even if Florida is not in it you know I I've always watched it so I obviously I remember Barry Bonds playing for Arizona State you know I remember seeing him play I, I remember a lot of major leaguers that saw him first time I ever saw him was in the college world series. It's a fantastic event. It's, you know, the final four is, is a great event, obviously, but if you're a baseball fan of the sport, watching what happens in Omaha over that time period is, is, I mean, it's some of the best baseball you'll ever watch. So go, uh, Antoine, what about you? What's your favorite thing? Uh, as far as moments that I covered, uh, it's Probably so many great Miami Dolphins moments. I, I, yeah. I'm getting to that too. Yeah, it's yeah. one of well, one of them sticks out would be the Miami Miracle, which is kind of similar to your story too, where you had to like flip everything a story like right then and there because yeah, the Patriots kicked the field goal at the end. It's probably it's like nine seconds left. You're like, okay, the Patriots are gonna win. You know, the Dolphins are out of the playoffs. You know, you got the story ready to go. Like I'm like I'm ready to send it in. And then all of a sudden, the Miami Kenyon Drake just scores on the uh, at the last second. Like fucking, I I gotta fucking redo all of this right now. Like, <laughs> <laughs> so I pretty much had to like rip up the, the day, like everything. Like I just had to rewrite it like right then and there. Like I did it somehow, like within like five minutes. But like holy, holy shit, man! Like and that's like, that's, <laughs> a cool like that's a cool little thing. Just like peel back the curtain. Because we we're, we're sports fans, we really appreciate being there and seeing that moment live. It's super cool, but we're also at the game, not as a spectator, and except for Graham uh, stopping at the tailgate before games. Uh, but uh, but we're there, we're there, we're there working. We're there working. So like that's a moment. It's like I love the you know what was it? It was like train right, Big Ben, Jill in something like that. McElwain had a crazy name for that play. The boy McElwain. Love the moment. Love the moment, but then it's like, okay, well, it's literally restarting. I've been here five hours, and I've done no work now because I just deleted everything. 
Pretty much, yeah. That's kind of how that was. And then it was funny getting it on both sides. Like, they tell you not to root in the press box, which I wasn't, but you, everybody was like, it's crazy in there. You had one side full of dolphin reporters like, holy shit, what the hell just happened? And you've got the other side, I'm near the Patriots side, and they're like, like, what the fuck just happened? <laughs> like, they're like, holy shit. Like, yeah, it's... Yeah, it it was good getting it from both sides. Yeah, I'll, I'll always remember that. Like it just not just the play, but just everything that kind of what was in the press box. It was just completely nuts. And like I said, I pretty much had to redo everything, even my feature story, which even changed too, because I was like, well, I can't do that now because they ended up look, they ended up winning, so I got to figure out something else to do. So yeah, that was just a crazy, crazy night. I think it, it's part of what <laughs> verifies a lot of reporters in this business is when you you doubt yourself a lot. Imposter syndrome is prevalent uh, among people in this business i think with the proliferation of independent contractors people just writing for free to make it that you doubt yourself so much that it sometimes takes changing your story on deadline nailing it having five minutes to turn something in and and writing writing your ass off and making it happen to remind you why you put up with all the other stuff the poor food the crazy hours always being on call you put up with the craziness because (laughs) yeah i mean there is nothing like a thrill of when you have two minutes to rewrite something and try and capture it and put aside the anxiety and the stress and just write and deal with the imperfections realize that it it could be done differently you could change things in a sentence but how you're going to put it across in those five minutes I, i mean there aren't many comparable thrills like that for non-athletes in the heat of the moment i mean maybe it's like a a doctor in the er trying to save someone's life where you're you're you know every second counts in your mind but it's that type of thrill i would say for me you know the first time i had that was definitely a deadline gamer uh but last year now my how's my Now's my time to talk Florida basketball. Everyone's been waiting for this hour and 12 minutes in here. I <laughs> last year woke up at 4 a.m., got in my Prius, RIP Prius. I don't drive a Prius anymore, sadly. But I drove out to High Springs and picked up Jerome Millman, who used to be Billy Donovan's suit tailor. That's a story for another time. And we drove nine hours from Gainesville to Baton Rouge to cover the Florida LSU basketball game. And we get to the hotel at 4 p.m. and I, I meet Mike White down in the lobby and, and start talking to him about the game in, in a few hours. And that's when we find out that Kerry Blackshear dealing with a stomach virus may not play. And, you know, I, I'm like, okay, let's see what's going to happen here. And we go over to the arena, follow the team, team bus and Florida's down by 10 with two minutes left. And it makes it a one possession game with a few seconds left. And you're still changing everything that you've been thinking about writing. But at that point you've been up for, what 16 hours and you still are feeling that same thrill years later the tiredness is a non-factor and it's just a reminder whether that happens to you once a year five years every weekend god help you you're gonna be reminded of of why you're doing this and and i've had a few of those and it keeps me going isn't that kind of though like back to when we first started was could that be one of those moments that you could link into where you say okay like i can do this job 
like under pressure when you have to eliminate two stories that you've been working on for like Nick said, five hours, you've been writing this story and within 30 seconds, your entire five hours of work is gone, but you, but you rebound and you write a fantastic story based on the event that occurred. Like that had to be a moment in your head where you said, okay, I can fucking do this. Absolutely. Like I'd be good at this. You know, I, I know that guys back in the old days used to have, typewriter sitting up there and you go to the office and put the thing in the machine and send it away and you would change lines and put type over lines so that it would all look well but with with online deadlines now i do think there's a little bit more oh god yeah pressure i you know I, not to not to sound like yeah. i'm some youngster crapping on the older generation here but i do think that there's just you know everything we talked about analytics you have to be aware about online editors it's just a whole different ball game and then when you when you nail oh, yeah. everything every single thing on the checklist when you don't miss a thing and you also then sit back and say this was never in the job description never was an expectation and yet i'm doing this, <laughs> this, this and this i think you can easily say hey you know if i can do this what can i do and that's a little bit of arrogance absolutely yeah. but the way the job is is you should respect you should, you should have it though and you need it i think because there will be some people out there who will do everything they can and will get satisfaction from breaking you down even a small amount that you need to prop yourself up and remind yourself that you often are going above and beyond like what antoine said you're not doing this for the money you're not doing this because of the analytics people the digital editors telling you that you need to tweet your story out five times and then retweet it you're not doing it for that when you do everything that everyone <laughs> expects you to do and the, the job requirements i think you can only sit back and say damn i can do this who cares about what nico six seven eight nine four yeah two says calls me a poopy face like i don't care about him look at what i'm doing yeah, yeah. Well, the, and and that has and that also has to be part of it where it's not necessarily maybe it's some arrogance graham but it's also it's also having the confidence in your ability like i'm confident that i can do this so those two things don't you know those two things can go well together confidence and, and arrogance so um nick what's going on uh, on the on the other end of the spectrum, uh, my first game, uh, Will Muschamp's coach, he's riding high because they were a game away from the national championship in 2012, oh, and geez. I show up for my first year in 2013, and I luck into getting this suspension story right. And I've got these six guys; they're suspended for the opener. I'm 23 years old; it's my first game I've ever covered live, in person. The Palm Beach Post says Luchez Purifoy was like the big guy. Um, of the group, he was the you know all preseason all SEC. They come out and say that he failed a drug test, which I did not put. I just said they are these six guys are suspended. They're not going to play. So Will Muschamp's pissed off. Five of the guys don't dress. They're not even on the sideline. The other guy, uh, Jnar Bostwick, um, is on the sideline. Doesn't play. Will Muschamp comes in and rips Robbie Andrew, Jason Leisure, and myself a new one. Luckily, I was, I was, I was, luckily I was new and he didn't know my name yet, <laughs> but he rips us a new one. I'm sitting there, I'm 23 and I'm like, maybe I can't do this. This is not, <laughs> this is yeah. not a great start. Luckily, I'm very sarcastic and Will Muschamp went four and eight that year and I let him have it the rest of the year. Um, 
But yeah, that was the total other end of the spectrum. My very first game getting chewed out and my dad texted me being like, hey, are you okay? And I'm like, I have too much going on right now. I can't even think about getting chewed out. I have to write like five stories right now. So yeah, yeah I'll call you. I'll call you when I leave. I'll call you when I leave. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, guys, um, I just, I want to thank you guys for coming on and, and talking about your experiences and, and talking about your profession. I think it's, uh, I think it's a little undervalued. Uh, on social media apps and and in the in all of the interaction that you have to not kind of be able to have a moment to express you know who you are and and how you feel about the job and how you see things and I know that you guys all work very hard at what you do I mean it's not always good but you do work very hard so I want to I really want to thank you guys for taking out the time because I know all three of you we talked we we talked separately and we talked in the in the the general message about how busy you guys been and I know taking an hour and 20 minutes now out of your day to to finish what you're doing is greatly appreciated on my part. So everybody that's going to listen to this, uh, you know, these are three of the really good ones that are out there. I appreciate them coming on board. I do read all of their stuff. Uh, when I can get to it and, and certain things. I don't read as much as Antoine's because I, you know, Florida State, and I'm just going to be upfront with you, man. I'm just going to hey, be upfront with you. That's all right. That's all right. <laughs> just, 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 read, just read my feature stories. Those are yeah, there you go. Your, okay. your, tweets, your tweets aren't juicy enough, Antoine. I know. He doesn't yeah. need to read it. He just needs to click it, let yeah. the ad hit, and that's and then we're good. No, no, yeah, no just, and look, like just my, like look, to, my cash. Like to, to nicker myself here, but Antoine's, I have read some of his stuff. I mean, Antoine's feature stories are, you know, that's often what I think, you know, we, we could go on for a little bit longer here, but journalists have to write so many recaps, gamers, news pieces that you often wait until you have a chance to do that one-on-one, -on -one, the good feature story. And Antoine, you, you knock him out of the park, man. I hope yeah. you know that. Yeah, that's my, uh, that's my, that's my bread and butter. Yeah, he is very good at that. I, I will say that because I even like when you were doing some writing with the Panthers, um, found him, baby. and I think that a lot of the stuff that you do is ab absolutely fa fantastic, Antoine. And I think that you're a very, uh, you know, I know you have your fan base with with FSU and things like that, but you're a very uh, under underrated um, writer. And I, and I think that more people would appreciate what you do if they would dive in and read some of your stories and uh, and and learn about you a little more, even from from the FSU fan base. It's 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 fantastic the things that you've done, and and I, it's my pleasure to have all three of you on. Two of you which have blue check marks on Twitter, so you know I mean that's fantastic. There's one oh, in this, no. there's one on this call that doesn't. Oh, and maybe, like, yeah. and maybe you know maybe he's. Not quite as important. I, I might get verified before Nick gets verified, which is oh, sad. Oh, come on. I didn't. I could delete the, all this audio recording just like I had to delete that story from the Tennessee game, and she'll have nothing now, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, uh, and also I was going to say uh, that, you know, my, my cash app is open if you guys want to integrate some – you know, some, some gifts or some photoshops into your stories, you know, I'm more than happy to kind of work with you on a rate on a revolving rate that we can get moving. I actually text him to, to Nick, like all the time. He's like, can you put this on this? Can you put this on this? It's so funny. Cause I love to do it. It's great. But, uh, I, I really do. I appreciate you guys coming on and taking the time. Um, you're some of my favorite people, not only on Twitter, but, um, 
you know, personally, uh, we've, we've had some great conversations and I appreciate the fact that you were here and to share your stories about your profession and, and what you do. So thank you guys very much for coming on with me. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you had a good time and, uh, uh, thanks again. I appreciate it. Oh yeah. <laughs> and there it is. There's the awkwardness of Zoom. It's like, oh, are we? Yeah, no, we like, thank you. Yeah. I mean, because <laughs> no, no, I, I, no. I, I don't want to thank you, and then you can hold my thanks over my. There is absolutely. There is absolutely. There is no reason to thank me for anything ever. To be honest with you, I don't do anything positive. You, you did so, a great job on the on the kitchen backsplash. I thank you for that. Oh yeah, yeah. That's well. You're welcome. That was a good. That was a good time. We actually got to like work a little bit but have some really cool conversation too so yeah. and get to know you a little bit better on a personal level that was actually a fun afternoon i, I really enjoyed it so that was fun. Uh, yeah i appreciate that and this was fun too yeah this it was the Antoine, yeah. and we put up with graham for almost an hour and a half now yeah it's a fun podcast that's probably more that's probably more than anyone wants to interact with Graham mm -hmm. like yes. on a on a basis like uh -huh. an hour and twenty three minutes. <laughs> I'm still hoping Graham, that my Graham I, I, I give I give, me this year. I give Graham a hard time, but Graham's one of my he's we Graham and I met it must be like seven years ago now and he's one of my, my closer friends here. He's a great guy. Um, yeah. and he puts up with a lot for me. So uh, I appreciate it. It's not just you. <laughs> it's a lot of people have adopted but, Nick's on the beat. They've adopted Nick's um, attitude towards me where they act like they just cannot stand me while secretly I know. And you must have seen it because you did his house. I know they have a shrine of me. <laughs> it's a very small one, but it's, but it is there. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, again, thank you, gentlemen. I really appreciate it. And, uh, and we'll be releasing this on Wednesday. Okay. And uh, we'll be uh, releasing the podcast trailer tomorrow. Uh, so please take a look at that on the uh, at Sensational Show on Twitter. And we'll catch up with you around the Twitter atmosphere. Like, don't sweat the technique. Sweat the technique.